0: Okay, true confessions time. I enjoyed the first one so much that Peng Fu and I actually d- d- dressed up as the Incredibles one Halloween. <laughs> yep, yes, that is me in spandex. So you're welcome for that image that will haunt you at night. <laughs> but it's true, it was just so much fun. Okay, yeah, enough of that. Let's put, take that off the screen and never show that again, okay? But see, so these movies, these movies, the first one and the second one, they tell the story of a family of superheroes. And each of them has their own superpowers. But what really sets these movies apart is how well and adeptly they handle really complex social and relational topics. So it's things like family dynamics, parenting, gender roles, conflict identity, all of these things in an animated movie. And that's part of what makes these, the, both of these movies so robust. And you could see already in the trailer some of that conflict of the stay-at-home parent and the working parent and the angry kids and all of that. So, so it is wonderful, but they handle these complex issues so well, if, especially for a superhero movie. Now, there's one prerequisite for every superhero movie. A good superhero movie has to have a good supervillain, okay? Otherwise, it just doesn't work. I'm, I'm looking at you, DC. Get it together, okay? But you've got to have a good supervillain. And these movies are, are no, no different. They have some great villains. So, in Incredibles 2, the more recent one, uh, the, the, the main villain was the Screenslaver. Okay, you saw him in the trailer. I know, I know there was also the underminer, but we'll just let him go. He was just at the beginning. But the main villain was the screen slaver. And he had the ability to hack into any screen and hypnotize the person looking at it. So by the way, this movie also had some great social commentary on our collective obsession with screens Has this guy basically took over the world. Uh, now, there is a twist in this movie. There is a twist, and I'm not going to reveal it since it's a little bit of a newer movie. So I'm going to be a little vague today in case you haven't seen it. And after today, you're like, okay, let's go see it. I'm not going to reveal the twist, okay? Um, so pardon me if I'm a little vague at times. So the Screenslaver was a great villain. Really good. Liked him. Now, the first movie had a good villain as well. If you remember that one, back to the first one if you saw it, which was 14, 15 years ago, it was, it was Syndrome. Now, Syndrome, was, it, Syndrome started out just as a normal kid named Buddy. Um, and what happened, and he, he was sort of brushed off. He idolized Mr. Incredible. And Mr. Incredible sort of brushed him off. And what ended up later, a little later in life, is he became this supervillain, Syndrome. But what's interesting about both of these m- movies is... Both of these movies, and particularly both of the supervillains, had a similar origin story. So, as I, men- I mentioned for Biddy, for Buddy, the little boy, uh, he idolized Mr. Incredible. He loved him. And he wanted to be a superhero, but he was just a normal boy. And then one time he, he, he wanted to join Mr. Incredible in a, on a fight, but he was busy fighting bad guys, and Mr. Incredible brushed him off. And, and Buddy was really hurt. And he let that hurt turn into bitterness, and then that bitterness into resentment and anger. And he, he let that bitterness turn him literally into a supervillain. Now, the, the new one, Incredibles 2, Screenslaver, has a very similar origin story. Now, I'm not gonna go into details, that's because that's part of part of the, the twist and the surprise, okay? But take my word for it. That Bitterness is involved in the screen slaver's origin story. So if you've seen it, you know, wink, wink, okay? There we go. So, but it is true. Bitterness is a core result, a core component of how a normal, nice human being turned into a supervillain. And that's the power of bitterness. That's how powerful it is. It can turn normal people into supervillains. Think about it. Bitterness can make you see the worst in people and in situations. Bitterness can make you vilify other people, where you literally turn them into your enemies. Bitterness can drive you to hurt people or watch as people get hurt. And you not do anything about it. Bitterness is powerful. Bitterness can, figuratively and sometimes even literally, turn you into a supervillain. That's how powerful and destructive it is. We saw it in the movies, and if you've ever been around a bitter person, if you've ever been the victim of someone holding on to bitterness, or maybe you've been the one holding on to the bitterness, then you know how destructive it can be in our own lives and in the lives of people around us. Because let's be honest, nobody likes a bitter person. See, bitter people are kind of like porcupines. They might have some good points, but they're really hard to be near. And sometimes we can be porcupines when we hold on to that bitterness and we start sending all of our spikes out to everyone. And finally, everyone just sort of backs off <laughs> and stops being near you because nobody likes a bitter person. Now, how can you tell if you're a bitter person? How can you tell if you, have got, if you are feeling bitter towards someone? Usually after the fact, long after, the, you can look back and see it. But it's often tough in the middle of it. So here are, here are some signs you might be holding on to some bitterness. Here we go. You talk badly about people. You compare yourself to others. You get jealous of others, and especially other success. You're apathetic or you avoid people. You take things really personally, even when they're not really about you. You complain a lot. Or you think the world owes you something. So if any of those sort of struck a chord with you, you might have the beginnings of some bitterness. You might be living in some bitterness. You might be at the origin story of becoming a crazy supervillain. Hopefully not, though. So if any of this describes you, God brought you here today for this sermon to hear what God has to say, what he has to say about bitterness. Well, the good news is you don't have to deal with your bitterness alone. God is here. He has wisdom. He has insights. He can help you. The Holy Spirit can empower you to overcome your bitterness. And I think God knows how powerful bitterness is, how destructive it is, because he talks a lot about it in Scripture. We see people in Scripture who are bitter. Paul, in his epistles, his letters to churches, he talks about bitterness, and that's actually one of the passages we're going to look at today. It's in the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is divided up pretty much in two parts. There are six chapters. The first three have to do with theology, where Paul sets forth a firm foundation in a great understanding of God and Jesus Christ and Christ's work on the cross. Then the next three chapters, Paul shifts and says, okay, here's how we live it out. So Paul does three of the chapters about how to live the Christian life. And in these three chapters, he hits on, he returns over and over again to three big themes. First is unity in the church. Unity in the church. Second is maturity of the believer. And third is living a renewed life in Christ. So those are the three themes that Paul hits over and over again in these second three chapters. Three, four, five. Excuse me, four, five, six. And and out of those, and what's amazing is when he talks about bitterness, bitterness has the potential to harm or even destroy all of those. Bitter people in a church have the power to destroy the unity of believers. And if you've ever been in a church with bitter people, you know what I'm saying is true. Bitterness in individuals compromises the maturity of a believer, and bitterness that we hold on to rejects the renewed life we have in Christ and instead embraces our old unsaved life. So all three of these themes that Paul talks about are damaged by bitterness. So that's why this section, this little paragraph that we're going to look at today, fits so well right here in Ephesians 4. So it's Ephesians 4, 29 to 32, just a few verses, but it fits really well into this larger section of unity, maturity, and renewed life in Christ. So so open up your hearts. If you brought Bibles, you can open those up. You can click to it, pull out your phone. You can follow along on screen. Open up your hearts to God's Word. We're going to start with verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So, Paul starts with talking about what we talk about. He starts with what comes out of our mouth. Is it unwholesome or helpful? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't resonate with this word unwholesome. I don't I don't typically think in terms of things as wholesome and unwholesome. And so so I dug into the Greek word for that. And a better word that might help us understand this a little better is harmful. It's actually, this word actually has its root in rotting decay. So think about, are your words harmful or helpful? Do your words bring rotting decay to people? Or do they bring... Life and hope and healing. Are they harmful or helpful? It's a great question to ask. And I think every one of us, if you're a believer, you should be asking that question regularly. How do you use your words? Now, how can you tell the difference? How can you tell the difference between words that are harmful and helpful? Well, thank you, Paul. He explains it he actually elaborates right up there on markers of helpful words. And then just by contrast, we can figure out what are markers of harmful words. So there are three three phrases up there that, that Paul talks about. Do you use words to build others up, or by contrast, tear others down? Do you use words according to somebody else's need, Or do you use words according to your own needs? And do you use words to benefit those who listen? Or do you use words to benefit yourself? Did you know that a lot of our speech is very self-focused? We use words to benefit ourselves. We use words according to our needs. So Paul is, is giving this radical change to how we should be using words to focus on the other people building them up encouraging them asking what do they need right now and how can my words help them with that that's what what uh, helpful words look like so which of those th- that list there characterizes your speech? Do you fall on the scale of 100% helpful and 100% harmful? Where are you? Are you maybe 50-50, depending on the day, depending on how bad work's been? Do you fall a little bit more this direction, or do you fall a little bit more this direction? If you're not sure, or if you're not being honest with you, with yourself, I could always ask your spouse, or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your coworkers, because they can see it. They, They hear your words every day. So how do you use your words? We start with that question. Now, Paul continues on with this fascinating statement. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Where did that come from? Where did a little mini teaching on the Holy Spirit come into this? Well, so the first is, did you know you can grieve the Holy Spirit? So if you're a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. That's what that last phrase of uh, the seal of the day of redemption. Other places in Scripture, the uh, Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as being a promise or a guarantee of our salvation. So every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer doesn't necessarily listen to the Holy Spirit or follow the Holy Spirit. But if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And did you know that your words can grieve the Holy Spirit? See, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person the third person of the Trinity, the person the Father, the person of the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit. And our words can grieve the Holy Spirit. How? Why? Well, because when we use our words to hurt other people, we are hurting people God loves. We are hurting people God created. We are hurting people Christ died for. And that grieves the Holy Spirit. So our words are not just about us. Our words have an impact on the spiritual plane. They can grieve the Holy Spirit. So next Next Paul moves into into a key command. Here it is. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Okay, now some of y'all need to copy this verse down. Some of you need to make it on like your lock screen on your phone. Because I've been around you. I've heard the stories. Because you may not know, but like, I'm the person come to w- after someone gets yelled at. And they're like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, okay. So, so I, I hear. I follow a lot of you on Facebook. I can see. I, can, I, I experience your words. And this verse, I love this verse. This verse and the one that follows that we'll get to in a moment are two of the clearest simplest statements about how do we use words as a Christian. It's right there. And if you're not exactly hitting it out of the park with these, that means you're missing something big about the life of a Christ follower. Paul says, get rid of them and not just get rid of a little bit. See, we like doing that. We like getting rid of a little bit. But we don't like getting rid of all. You decide to go on a diet, so you, so you get rid of some of the junk food in the house. <laughs> but you don't want to get rid of all the junk food. <laughs> Same thing goes with our Christian life. We get that little conviction from God, and we're like, okay, I'll get rid of some of my bitterness, rage, and anger. Nah, that's not what God's saying. We've got to get rid of all of it. Because that's how destructive this is. Get rid of these six sins. And they are sins. And we've got to get rid of them in our life. So let's run through them and see if any of these have popped up in your life lately. Um, and some of, this, some of these are traced back to kind of the, the Greek roots of it, of, of where I get these words to help understand, and I'll explain that coming up. So first, bitterness. Bitterness. This is that sour taste that's left in your mouth when you think about somebody who hurt you, that angered you, that disappointed you, that disrespected you, and you're just carrying that bitter taste in your mouth. It's, it's orange juice after you've brushed your teeth. And imagine holding on to that all day and all week or all year. That's what bitterness is. Rage, rage. This, this Greek word is explosive fury, but it dies down pretty quickly. This is the person who, who will shout, get into a shouting match with their spouse or their boyfriend or girlfriend at night and then the next morning be okay and just eat breakfast like nothing happened. That's what this one is, rage. Now in contrast, the next one, anger, this one is intense fury that doesn't go away. Th- this is those of you who can who hold on to intense fury for a long time, and you're just angry people. You're Bruce Banner ready to turn into the Hulk at any moment. I know I'm crossing movies here, but you get the point, okay? That's, th- some of you are just holding on to your intense fury Day after day after day. And the bottom line is you are just an angry person. My guess is all of us know somebody who is just an angry person. Next, brawling. Now, this this was quite a surprise as I was studying and digging into this passage. Now, when I say brawling, I don't know about you, but I think about fighting. So I'm thinking about like a bar fight. Someone cracks a bottle. Someone smashes somebody with a chair. That's brawling. That is not at all what this word means. So this Greek word, literally, I have no idea why the NIV chose to translate this particular word into brawling. I actually want to do research. One of my professors was on this committee and I feel like I should call her and be like, what were you thinking? Okay, but she's way smarter than me, so I won't say that. But, but So this, this word, it's not fighting. What it really is, is loud, angry shouting. So the ESV, for instance, just translates it as clamor. That's a little better translation, but again, that's not a word I typically use. But I would have translated this angry shouting or yelling. And some of you, some of you are shouters. Some of you are yellers. And, and you dismiss it just by saying, that's just who I am. It's, it's better that I'm honest than I bury it. No, it's not. You're just making excuses so you can yell at someone. You're just making excuses so you can shout and belittle somebody else. For a Christian, angry yelling is a sin. One of the things I have learned after a a whole lot of years and hours with with my wife sitting across the table from couples is I, I have a very simple diagnostic test for the health of a relationship, marriage or dating, I'll ask him one question. What are your fights like? I can tell you right now how healthy your relationship is by what your fights look like. And if you're a believer and if you're a yeller and a shouter and a screamer, Paul is saying you have got to get rid of that (coughs) because that will destroy you. Next, slander. Slander. This is trash talking. This is spreading rumors against someone. This is spreading lies to destroy someone's reputation. And lastly, malice. Now, malice is when we, when we start shifting for simple words, like slander, to action. These are the evil, mean-spirited things that you do to another person with the sole intent of causing harm. Maybe you're so hurt, you want, to, you want the other person to be hurt. So it's revenge. But whatever it is, malice, that's what malice is. Those are the actions, the downright evil, sinful actions we do to hurt somebody else. They may be subtle, they may be direct, they may be passive-aggressive, whatever it is. It is meant to hurt, it's meant to sting somebody else. That's malice. Bitterness, rage, anger, shouting, slander, malice. So, where do you find these in your life? Chances are most of you probably have at least one of these. In your life that's a consistent part maybe not right now maybe not last night but probably somewhere in your life one of these is sitting around so these are these are the, if you go through these are the six sins that basically make up the script of every supervillain every single supervillain does one two if not all six of these things Go go watch your next Marvel movie and just start tracing the bitterness, the rage, the anger, the brawling, slander, shouting, all of that. It's there. That's what makes up supervillains. And God doesn't want you to become a supervillain. Now, there is a remedy. There is a solution to this. It's the next verse. Here's what Paul says. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. That's the cure to bitterness. Kind, compassionate, forgiving. Now, I know that's a really Christian answer. That's exactly what you would expect a pastor to say when you come to church. But it's true. I have never known a bitter person who is also kind. I have never known an angry person who's also compassionate. And I've never known a malicious person who's also forgiving. Those things are like oil and water. They cannot exist at the same time. One of them will always drive out the other. Whichever of those you're practicing, they will always drive out the other. Bitterness will always drive out kindness and compassion. But forgiveness will always drive out resentment and shouting and fury. Either way, one always drives out the other. They're mutually exclusive. And it all depends on which ones you embrace. Which ones you live out in your relationships, in your work, with your kids. Do you give yourself over to bitterness and anger and shouting and fury and malice? Or do you give yourself over to kindness and compassion and forgiveness? Now, you might be thinking, I want to. That's good I want that in my life. But how? I just get so angry. Or I, I can't control myself. Or I'm only human. What do you expect from me? I'm just human. Well, Paul gives the answer. To all of those, he gives the answer right there in the verse. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. In Christ, God forgave you. Receive God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. You want to know how to live out being kind, compassionate, and forgiving? First, you've got to receive God's kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Otherwise, you just can't do it. And if you've had times, if you're a believer and you've had times where you've been far from God, you know what I'm talking about. You just can't do it on your own strength. You have to receive forgiveness before you can ever give out forgiveness. You have to understand God's kindness before you could ever really be kind to the hard people. It's easy to be kind to the easy people. That's easy. How about be kind to the hard people? How about be compassionate to the annoying people? Or the hurtful people? That's where we have to rely on God. And you have to embrace His forgiveness. You have to remind yourself of your own sin and God's forgiveness of it. Because only through Jesus can you get rid of the bad list and embrace and be filled with the good list. So here's a summary. Here are those two lists that we just saw in this passage, talking about harmful words and helpful words and bitterness and anger and rage and malice and then kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Now, there might be some of you in here who struggle repeatedly with bitterness, that it's, it's your constant companion. And you, now you might not be at risk of becoming a supervillain. You might not have superpowers or genius-level tech abilities, but, but still, that bitterness has a way of eating up your insides, of closing off your soul to God and to other people. And like a cancer, just eating you up from inside out. Now, some of you, you might be great at the good list up there. You might be compassionate and kind and forgiving. And that stuff comes, might come easily for you. And if you're married to that person, be thankful right now because they're making life a lot easier. And if that's you, God bless you. Keep doing that. We need, our world needs people like you. Now for the other like 99.9% of us, what do we do? How do we get rid of all of that? all of that. How do we do that? Well, to help you understand what bitterness looks like in us and how we might get rid of it, I want to go back to the first Incredibles. Okay? And, and reintroduce you, I talked about little Buddy. Um, earlier in the, in the sermon there. So Buddy was a little kid who loved Mr. Incredible and he was all smiles and little cute little crooked teeth and he made his own little superhero costume and Buddy was so excited and he was adorable and he so wanted to be a superhero and he, and he jumped in the car and he wanted to help Mr. Incredible and, and Mr. Incredible just did not have time for Buddy. See, like, buddy, dude, sorry, man, but you've just got to go. I'm, I'm fighting supervillains here. and I, don't, I just don't have time to babysit a kid. And buddy got really hurt. He was dismissed and pushed aside, and he got really hurt. Well, this is buddy after he got hurt. See, this, this is bitter buddy. This is angry buddy. This is Buddy who is not getting rid of all bitterness, rage, fury, anger, ballast. This is young Buddy who's allowing bitterness to grow and fester. And all of a sudden, he starts getting that scowl. And then he just lets bitterness take over. And bitter Buddy becomes syndrome the arch-villain. See, we we all can be, at one point in our life, happy buddy. And when bitterness comes into your life and you you let it set up camp, then you become bitter buddy. And then if it stays, and you feed the bitterness. You start going to other people and you you tell the story of what the other person did to you and you're looking for validation. You post, you rant up on Facebook, looking for approval, looking for people to agree with you. And you start telling the story that feeds the monster. Bitter buddy turns into sin-filled syndrome. And I think that happens with us. So where are you right now in the Incredibles villain timeline? Are you happy, buddy? Are you filling yourself with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness? Or are you bitter, buddy? Maybe you're just feeling a little bit of bitterness, just a little bit of anger. But you're nursing it, and you're feeding it, and you're letting it grow. And all of a sudden, a little bitterness becomes some bigger malice. And it becomes bigger fury. And it becomes bigger angry shouting. And all of a sudden, you turn into a supervillain. A sin-filled supervillain. So if you're wrestling with bitterness right now, you're somewhere up on that chart. And by the time you get to the supervillain, God's got a lot of work to do in you. And I think part of Paul's message here, that's why he says, get rid of all of it. Because you you don't want bitter buddy to become sin-filled syndrome. Now, how do we do that? No, thank you. How do we do that? How do we avoid going through this progression? Because if we give ourselves to bitterness, this is our future. This is us. So how do we do it? One simple thing. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what Paul says. Whether it's not grieving the Holy Spirit, whether it's understanding how much Christ forgave you to get you into heaven, fix your eyes on Jesus. He is our only escape from bitterness, resentment, and anger. So if you find yourself full of bitterness, or maybe just tasting a little bit of bitterness, Focus on Jesus. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Acknowledge that you are the one full of sin. And Jesus Christ died on the cross to take that sin. He died in your place. And because of that, God has forgiven you of your sin. Camp on that for a while. That will beat out any bitterness and resentment you're holding on to. And later in worship, we're going to be taking communion, which is one of the best ways to fix our eyes on Jesus. You spend a week thinking about Jesus, and whatever bitterness you were feeling will be long gone. Be long gone. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us. God, we confess collectively before you we are sinful. We are full of sin, full of anger and rage and selfishness and resentment and bitterness. We confess that to you today. God, and and you have promised in your word that when we confess, you, uh, you are faithful to forgive we recognize that in Christ we are forgiven. God, I pray for all those out there who are struggling with bitterness right now. God, through the Holy Spirit, drive yourself into their hearts today. Free them of the chains of bitterness and fill them with your love. Fill them with your forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.